You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Noelle Herhusky-Schneider. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, September 6th, 2023. Later in the program, the latest edition of Deep Dive, WFHB and Limestone Post Investigate, where we look into issues regarding health, housing, and the environment. Today, we continue our report of Lake Monroe. How healthy is it and how long will it survive? More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, Real and Fake on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on the WFHB local news. More following today's feature. In today's feature report, WFHB News spoke with MS4 coordinator Kelsey Thetonia about how the county manages stormwater, how climate change affects flooding in the county, and how stormwater runoff can impact water quality. You're listening to Deep Dive, WFHB and Limestone Post Investigate. Where we look into issues regarding health, housing, and the environment, we turn now to that interview. What does MS4 stand for? It's a question we get asked a lot. Um, So MS4 stands for Municipal Separate Storm Sewer System. It's an acronym used by regulators uh, basically to describe um, the fact that we don't have combined sewers. So we have areas that are urbanized where we have runoff entering streams that's untreated. Maybe want to give more overview on the MS4 permitting, if that's okay, so you have a clearer picture of it. Um, mostly because I touched on some of the requirements of the permit, but didn't really give a full description of what's in there. So within Monroe County, there are five permitted MS4 entities. We have City of Bloomington, Indiana University, Town of Ellettsville, Ivy Tech, Bloomington, and the unincorporated county. Um, so we all have our own separate MS4 permits and are required to follow all the permit requirements and do annual reporting to the state. Um, Within the permit, it's focused mostly around six minimum control measures. Uh, The first one is education and outreach. Second one is public involvement. Third one is illicit discharge detection and elimination. Fourth one is construction stormwater management. Fifth one is post-construction stormwater management. And the sixth one is municipal operations, uh, pollution prevention, and good housekeeping. So the first two minimum control measures for education, public involvement, um, that's where we set goals for ourselves, where who are we gonna reach out to? Who do we want to target for education? Social media, website updates, um, tabling at local events covers all of that. Um, We have a local ordinance for illicit discharges. That basically means that if someone Anything non-stormwater that enters a storm sewer system, um, it can be, say, a gray water connection to a storm sewer, um, that, you know, dumping used oil or something. We have a local ordinance in place where we can um, 
administratively enforce something like that or remove a connection to the storm sewer system. Every MS4 will have some type of regulation like that. Um, for construction stormwater permitting, we're involved with um, grading permits and site plan reviews with the planning department. Um, so we oversee um, stormwater pollution prevention plans for active construction sites. And then for every new development in the county, they're required to have some type of permanent stormwater quality treatment on site. So um, you meant, I mentioned detention ponds earlier. Um, we can see other things like other green infrastructure, other type of treatment um, on site. And those are required to be maintained forever. So we have a program where we have to go out and inspect those. Um, and the state hasn't been so stringent on that in the past, but with the new permit cycle that started at the end of 2021, they're now setting actual uh, goals for us to inspect those regularly. So, um, and then the last one, municipal operations, it's basically what we're doing as an MS4, as a county to reduce our impact. So trying to reduce the amount of sand and salt on the road. So we have a sweeping program to remove any excess uh, material on the roads, um, managing our, our facilities properly. So we do have treatment ponds on site in the highway garage, for example. Um, all of our salt is stored indoors under cover, so it's not washing away. Um, basically just everything that we're doing to maintain our uh, public infrastructure in a way that will minimize our impact on local resources. Well, next, I was just wondering if you could sort of give us just some kind of summary of your jobs, roles, and responsibilities for our listeners who may be unfamiliar with the MS4 coordinator position. Absolutely. So the MS4 coordinator is responsible for, um, for lack of better words, coordinating our MS4 compliance with um, our state permitting. So um, the whole MS4 program comes from the Clean Water Act requirements. So the EPA delegates that authority to the states to regulate their areas. So the Indian Department of Environmental Management has an MS4 general permit. So any um, city, town, or other entity that meets that permitting threshold, whether it's by population, population density, they're required to follow everything within the state's MS4 general permit. So the unincorporated Monroe County um, back in about 2010, they determined that we met the requirements for MS4 permitting, so we're required to have an MS4 program. So the coordinator position makes sure that the county is doing its due diligence to meet all the permit requirements um, and doing its part to um, minimize impacts to water quality for our operations. Specifically, the stormwater program, is that different? So the MS4 program is just one part of what the stormwater program for the county does. Um, so my position oversees not only the MS4 compliance, but also our stormwater and drainage program for the county. So we have um, an entire drainage ordinance that has been in place since the 90s, where we're looking at management of the land um, to protect property owners, protect streams, water quality, um, looking at mostly new development or any changes to the landscape that are proposed to make sure that it is done in a way that minimizes impacts. Um, to reduce drainage issues and concerns. So um, on top of all of that, we also have a stormwater utility with the county. So it's housed in the highway department. 
And the stormwater utility, we have a seven person crew and lots of heavy equipment where we're responsible for maintaining ditches, inlets, and pipes in the unincorporated county. So that's all paid for with the stormwater fee, of course. Um, and so it's fully self-funded through the fee. And I was just kind of curious, was there anything that made the commissioners like really start to take this seriously? Like any certain instances or just like we've realized over time that this is something that we really need to prioritize? From my perspective, it's been something that has built up over time. Um, but we do see it with some of the more recent development in the county. So I'm grateful that I have support of elected officials and others within county government to support our drainage ordinance and making it more stringent to provide more protections to the public and the environment. I know not every county is uh, situated the same way. So I'm, I am very grateful that I have that support. So one of the things I'm looking at for new development is that we are not only not increasing the amount of runoff created from a new development, but trying to fix some of the issues we have in some of these watersheds, right? So um, when you have a new site to be developed or redeveloped, we're gonna be looking at environmental features of the site we're going to be looking at sinkholes and other karst features that could be present. Um, and we're also just trying to develop it in a way that is responsible and um, will hold back more water than we used to previously. So we have a detention pond, which is basically a, um, a holding area for surface runoff to drain off more slowly and for larger rain events. So we have some really unique issues in Bloomington and Monroe County when it comes to karst and sinkholes, specifically the west side of Bloomington, where we have sinking streams with very developed watersheds. These are areas where the water will go underground. And so at that final sinkhole, we have areas where we have really uh, significant flooding because the sinkholes can't handle the amount of runoff going to them. So those are specifically areas the county has called out as needing more protection. And so we've done significant studies on sinkholes to see exactly what we need to do to be developing responsibly. And it definitely comes at a huge cost to some of the developers looking to develop large areas of land. It's not going to be easy developing these critical watersheds. So, <clears throat> so my next question would be, you know, when you talk about large impervious surfaces, maybe that could lead to, to flooding. When you refer to an impervious surface, what exactly uh, do you mean by that? Yeah, an impervious surface is just a hardened surface that doesn't allow water to infiltrate. So in a natural environment, when you have rainfall, you may have a certain portion of it soak into the ground. Some of it may still end up on the surface. Um, some of it may be taken by plants or evaporate. But when you have a hardened surface, all of it remains above ground. None of it can soak into the soil. So you have that much more water to manage. And it's that change we're seeing from converting natural spaces to urbanized areas that creates the additional runoff. Just, I know you said that the karst typography does play a role in sinkholes and everything, but I was just curious I know that we have a limestone bedrock, and I was wondering if that plays a role in that as well. Yeah, so the additional impervious surface can cause issues for drainage um, too, and you know, within sinkholes, because if you're speeding up the water, the underground conduits you know only handle so much. So 
the goal with developing around sinkholes is to not change the environment so much around them. So one thing that we try and do is maybe try and divert some of those impervious services to drain away from sinkholes. Um, of course, we have protections um, where you can't develop them or can't fill them in. Of course, I should, I should just say that as a given, we're not filling them in. But basically, we're not trying to concentrate all that extra flow and, and put it underground untreated. We're going to be holding that water back, trying to treat it, and if possible, diverting it away from the sinkholes so that we don't increase the amount of water we're sending down underground. Is the main fear there that it's going to lead to erosion quicker and then collapse? I will defer some of the more technical questions on sinkholes to geologists, but I can say that we don't experience so many collapse events in Indiana just because we don't have very deep soils here. So, for example, you'll see somewhere in you know, Florida or, or somewhere where they didn't know there was a sinkhole there, and all of a sudden they had this big collapse event and cars are falling in. Indiana soils are a little bit different. So wherever the sinkholes are, we pretty much know where a lot of them are. I've seen some open up, but it's usually, you know, you, you plug one sinkhole and then a few feet over, something else will open up. It's, it's all just right up the surface there. And then just really kind of curiosity, is it an aquifer? That's right. So I know around Leonard Springs, like it's being fed by an underground aquifer. How does so, that kind of play into it? Yeah, so Leonard Springs is um, the water that comes out of the cave there. That's draining the whole west side of Bloomington. That's one of the sinking stream basins that I mentioned. So sinking creek on the west side of Bloomington, it's about the, the three square mile drainage area around Curry Pike and State Road 45, I believe. It all goes underground. And then however far away it is, I can't remember exactly how much, it'll go all, all the way underground to Leonard Springs and come out there. So. Uh, really interesting geology. It's it's really cool, but it just makes land management a little bit trickier. <laughs> just shifting gears here a little bit, can you touch on why the county was opposed to the Houston South project and how tree coverage just helps prevent erosion? I unfortunately can't speak on the Houston South project. I have not been involved with that. But in general, um, I think trees are a great asset for stormwater management. It's almost like a love-hate relationship in an urban area, of course, because the tree roots can damage your infrastructure and make you know all the organic matter can clog drains and cause some water quality issues. But in general, uh, trees are wonderful assets for stormwater management. So this is my general statement on that, but I'm, I'm sorry I can't answer the first part of your question. You're listening to Deep Dive, WFHB and Limestone Post Investigate. Where we look into issues regarding health, housing, and the environment. We're joined by MS4 coordinator Kelsey Thetonia, who talks about how the county manages stormwater, how climate change affects flooding in the county, and how stormwater runoff can impact water quality. We've returned now to the second half of that interview. So I was curious, how does climate change affect flooding in the county? We are definitely seeing some different rain events the past few years. We had February 7, 2019 was a big one. Uh, June 19th or 20th, uh, 2021, among some other really large events. I think we are seeing our rain events becoming more frequent and intense, which is what a lot of our scientists have told us. So 
it is requiring us to just uh, manage the flash flooding a little different. Um, Bloomington experiences a lot of flash flooding because it sits right on top of a watershed boundary. So we're creating our own runoff, but due to the steep slopes and this, the topography of the area, these rain events are causing a lot more flooding, but it really goes away quickly, but it's still very dangerous. So we need to take it seriously. We will have some extended duration flooding in some of the sinking stream areas. And of course, around Lake Monroe when the water level is high. But other than that, we're just seeing a lot of flash flooding to manage debris cleanup from you know, the highway department, of course, you know, making sure that all of our culverts, whenever we put in a new culvert, that it's gonna be sized for a big enough storm. And for new development, um, we of course have tables for rainfall data that we require the engineers to design to. And we update those tables based on data from the National Weather Service. So trying to keep everything updated as much as possible, but of course we are designing infrastructure based on past data. I think everyone in the water resources industry recognizes that that isn't a great solution, but it's the best solution that we have. And that's all we know right now. But we're just going to continue to do our best and keep designing infrastructure to withstand uh, the rain events you know, that we've seen as much as possible within a reasonable cost. When you said just watershed boundary, I kind of want to briefly touch on PCBs. Yeah. I know okay. that we could probably talk about that for a long time. We've done another interview with the water coordinator, uh, Maggie Sullivan, and mm -hmm. also somebody else working on the story were interviewed Vic Kelson. And the answer we've kind of gotten is because Bloomington is actually draining not into Lake Monroe, the PCBs went somewhere else and we are fine. That sounds nice, but I mean, those PCBs had to go somewhere else. And I was just kind of curious if you knew what is our status on PCBs? Do we still monitor them in the county? Because we heard from a different county commissioners meeting back in 2021 that Diane Henschel said they kind of they come out um, when it floods and it rains. So I haven't done much work with PCBs in the county, but I've seen you know development of some brownfields or areas that have contaminated soils. Other than that, I really haven't been involved, and I'm we're not required to do monitoring for PCBs. I believe the state may do uh, monitoring for say PCBs and fish tissue. But other than that, the county isn't required to monitor them. So I don't have a great answer for that one. And then I guess next, yeah, we kind of want to touch on what you mentioned, where when there's flooding, you have to deal with debris cleanup and just kind of giving our listeners that understanding of the things that we put down. Like, you know, we just think that, oh, the rain washed that away and it's gone but maybe it's in your watershed now. I know personally, like I was washing a car and my, you know, partner's dad's driveway and he's using Fabulosa, you know, we're washing it and all the bubbles are going down the driveway and it's like, oh, it's gone. Um, but I'm just, you know, it's not. So it's the point of the MS4 program to promote these behavioral changes we want to see in order to reduce the amount of pollutants entering our waterways. So with urbanized land uses, whether you have leaking cars or just like household things that get washed away, the rainwater is going to wash away whatever is on the ground. It picks it up and whether the pollutants attached to, you know, sediment or other things or just, you know, trash is going down into storm drains, there is really no treatment system once it enters a storm sewer system. So 
we're trying to get folks to not have pollutants on the ground in the first place. So cleaning up your trash, cleaning up your pet waste, making sure you're properly disposing of household chemicals and things like that. Um, that's kind of our first line of defense. And we have smaller areas, say around new developments, we do have some treatment systems in place, but not nearly all of the ground is being treated. So just assume that if there's something on the ground, then it'll be washed away, unfortunately. So that was individual personal behavior. Is there anything you guys do with businesses and corporations in town or in the county? Yeah. So we'll do targeted outreach to businesses. For example, we did an education campaign this past year to gas stations in the county, just making sure that their employees were aware of um, what to do in case of a spill and any places where they could um, have runoff that goes untreated into the waterway. So um, we set our goals for ourselves like that. If we want to reach out to say restaurants or lawn care companies or, or other local businesses, um, we'll kind of do a rotating basis and target one group at a time. So that's something that's within our MS4 permit um, for education not reach requirements. Up next, Real and Fake on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on the WFHB Local News. We turn to host and producer Richard Fish for more. Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. Here are a couple of right now alerts on scams going around. The first one is a real estate deal, and a real bad deal it is. The state of Indiana has filed lawsuits against MV Realty. That's M for Mary, V for Victor, MV Realty. It's a Florida outfit that has hooked over 300 Hoosiers. They've been trolling for suckers by making over 10 million robocalls, and they no longer have a license to operate in our state. But that hasn't stopped them from rooking hundreds of Indiana residents. Their contract offers, quote, loan alternatives for people who are having trouble getting financing, and these alternatives turn out to be very high interest loans secured with a lien on the property. Even worse, the contract obligates the homeowner to use MV Realty exclusively in all real estate deals, and even if the homeowner dies, their heirs are bound by it. We've got plenty of honest, hard-working realtors right here in Indiana, so stay home and stay away from MV Realty. 
Now, you may not be buying or selling real estate, but you may well be interested in artificial intelligence. Websites like ChatGPT, Google's Bard, Jasper, and MidJourney have attracted millions of people, exploring what these highly sophisticated computer programs can create. It should be no surprise that the con artists are zooming in on this new phenomenon, and they are flooding the Internet, and especially social media platforms like Facebook, with phony ads for AI sites. Sometimes these fakes tout supposedly new and improved AI programs, and sometimes they imitate the real ones, like ChatGPT. But if you click on them, you don't go there. Instead, you download some very nasty malware onto your computer, which will find and steal all your passwords, bank account info, and all the details of your identity. One of the reasons this scam is spreading so fast is that AI programs can write programs, and the crooks are using them to create the phony come-ons and to make them as attractive as possible. If you want to explore an artificial intelligence website, the safest way is to discover their web address and type it in. If you're tempted to click on an ad or a link, check it out first. Look and see where it goes or what sort of email address is involved. Check the domain name. The fraudsters register domain names that look authentic but are just slightly misspelled, like changing target.com to tagret.com, for example. Suspicious of a website? Go to fishtank.com. That's fishtank with a P-H. P-H-I-S-H-T-A-N-K dot com. Paste in the URL and find out if it's real or not. And if you need to download some software, don't do it from Facebook or any social media platform. Go directly to the source, the website of the company that created the software. You need to use real intelligence to protect yourself from the artificial kind. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs. Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at WFHB.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at WFHB.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break. For WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's feature was produced by Cade Young and Noelle Herhusky-Schneider. Better Beware is produced by Richard Fish. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Noelle Herhusky-Schneider. And I'm Cade Young. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. 
You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Hearabouts, Asian American Midwest Radio, coming up next on WFHB. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 